there's sort of two sides to it. Um, I define directional liquidity as basically you're not providing a two-way LP position, but rather a one-way LP position. Um, so you might say, okay, I want this to trade into ETH to die over this range, and it will only trade into die. It will never trade back into ETH. Um, and you know, let's assume that that is a range which you know you're you're probably trying to to sell ETH. Welcome everybody to another Deus Ex Dao episode. And today I'm joined by my co-host Bruce. I'm Aperture, and we have Pool Sharks as our guest. And the main dev from Pool Sharks is joining Alpha Key. But before we head in, uh, I want to say hi to Bruce. Thank you for joining. Thank you for having me. Excited to do another episode with you. Awesome. And we're looking at Pool Sharks and Alpha Key is a developer I met a few times already at conferences. And we had some interesting conversations about new AMM models. And eventually he built Pool Sharks, which is a totally different type of AMM. And we're going to dig deeper in this episode. Um, Alpha Key, welcome to our podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. And of course, good to, to connect again. Awesome. Um, could you introduce yourself a bit? Like, who are you in the crypto space and what led you to building Pool Sharks? Yeah, sure. So my background is as an infrastructure engineer, building distributed systems, which, you know, formal definition of that is a group of computers working together to achieve one common goal. Hey, that sounds like a blockchain. Um, you know, a bunch of computers working together to bring some sort of execution or transactions under consensus. And um, yeah, effectively my, my Web3 journey um, uh, uh, kind of starts early 2021. So kind of seeing Bitcoin hit these um, really critical levels and saying, okay, you know, I should probably start paying attention again here. Um, the first thing that really attracted my attention was a platform called Glassnode, which has data analytics. So you can see what the top wallets um, of, of Bitcoin holders are doing. And I thought, okay, this is kind of interesting. Like you can get some sort of general sense of the, the market momentum. And I thought, okay, you know, let me, let me, let me try my hand at this again. And Got really interested in automated trading, started using a platform called Three Commas, um, which does automated trading on centralized exchanges. And hey, you can pay 30 bucks a month to use someone else's uh, strategy to open and close trades. Saw that, hey, if you have a really diverse um, sort of portfolio slash trading strategy, um, then you'll catch the general wind of the market and you won't be kind of at risk from any one of those small trades that you have open and um, always sort of chasing this 
idea of having a take profit and a stop loss, like being protected in either direction. And I was kind of always looking for that. But I, I, when I started moving on chain and participating in yield farms, I didn't really find that. Um, I didn't find that that was something that existed, at least in the, the format that was really friendly on chain. And like initially I thought, okay, like maybe this impermanent loss problem can be solved by like, if the price divergence starts happening, you know, I felt like 10% was kind of the teetering point where if the price diverges between the two assets more than 10%, then that's when you, the, like the impermanent loss starts really racking up and you're probably better off um, holding at that point. And I thought, okay, well, you know, maybe I can design something that's going to pull from the yield farm and uh, turn those into stable assets. Of course, the the downside of that being that, hey, well, that's that much less liquidity that's being provided kind of across the market. So, uh, yeah, that's that's sort of, you know, my intro slash background. And the journey definitely goes a lot longer, um, you know, kind of to how we got where we're at now. Uh, but that's that's sort of the start of it, I would say. I think it's uh, brilliant that you're building from your own expertise, but also from what you think is a shortcoming in the space. And I fully agree. I think um, as a trader, my problems with on-chain execution is that, for example, limit orders or stop losses are were not available. Like we're starting to see some of them now, but you need um, you know to to cancel them, set them up. Uh, it, it might cost uh, transaction fees, and you can go too granular, like you can do with some bots on on centralized exchanges. So um, I understand that's a, a big problem for for traders, but also like liquidity providers or market makers. Let's take a little bit deeper into what Pool Shark does and how the AMM basically helps traders and market makers and liquidity providers to basically negate some of the risks. Sure. So there's sort of two sides to it. Um, I define directional liquidity as basically you're not providing a two-way LP position, but rather a one-way LP position. Um, so you might say, okay, I want this to trade into eat the die over this range. And it will only trade into DAI. It will never trade back into ETH. Um, and you know, let's assume that that is a range which you know you're you're probably trying to to sell ETH, right? So uh, the one side of this is uh, what we're calling price pools or price liquidity, where you know you're pricing your liquidity over some range. I want to sell ETH from three thousand to four thousand, and you know whatever fills across that range um uh is going to be held in the position so you're going to uh, have the die sit there and you know something that somebody might do if they're playing on a really long time frame is they might set up an entry order uh sort of below the market price and you know again anything that's acquired in that range is going to be held in the position and then you might issue another transaction which is going to flip it into the other side where you want to take profit and you know of course there's going to be people that are going to play really short time frames but like you know you could play this on a really long time frame in a really long range and i think that to me is the the beauty of it is is when you get to that and 
Um, the important thing to note here is that no matter how wide you set your range, the gas cost is the same. Um, the way that limit orders play out right now is like you're off chain watching the price and then you go to try to execute a swap. But guess what? Somebody's then going to front run you. You have the possibility of the trade going outside your slippage range instead of being on the other side of that and um, having the opportunity perhaps to offer the best price. So, you know, maybe on the Uniswap or Curve Pool, if you're willing to buy ETH, let's say at $1,500, starting at $1,500, then, you know, the Uniswap and Curve Pool start sinking below $1,500. Then your position sitting at $1,500, you start getting filled. Of course, we're assuming that there's incoming order flow, um, but uh, you have the opportunity to offer the best price at some given point. And for sharp moves up and moves down, the mean reversion LP trading strategies that we have today on Uniswap and Curve uh, are not ideal. In fact, there's no reason there's there's no reason to try to use uh, those kind of trading strategies, um, you know, to to buy in a, a very selective range where you know, probably there's not going to be a lot of liquidity and any liquidity that's there, it's probably going to, people are probably going to suck it up when the market starts going the other direction. So it's really important, I think, to have those one-way positions for traders. And I think kind of the TLDR there is that traders can be LPs too. They're just having a different agreement on the back end of how their liquidity is being managed. Yes, yeah, so, and I think that's a super important point that uh, basically when you put a limit order into an order book that you're providing liquidity and that can be either a market maker or a trader. I think Brucey has a comment here. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, I'll, I'll kind of play the layman, I think, in this in this interview. Um, so the range pools, the price pools that you're talking about, so are these one directional? Yes. So the positions would trade in a single direction. Okay, so for example, I would say um, between two and three thousand die per ETH. I would be sell. I would like to sell my ETH to die, and basically, as opposed to a traditional Univ two pool, for example, if it hits an incrementally higher price, it would sell that ETH to die, but that die would never be sold back if price reverts. And effectively, what happens is you're you're limit ordering out over time, but above the take profit level. Is that right? Yeah, that's that's exactly right. And to follow on that, in the UniV3 white paper, uh, second page, bottom right, you can actually see that they call this out, that um, you can have this mirror <laughs> a limit order, except there's the one caveat of the position will trade back across the range. So probably not fair to expect them to solve uh, all the problems associated um, with with providing liquidity. Um, but yeah, I, I do I do think like UniV3 in terms of like being able to kind of leverage your liquidity, that that was a very important step forward uh, in the AMM space. So one thing that makes me wonder is, okay, so you've now introduced one of the different pools, so the, the price pools, which can be one directional. Um, but if, if we take the pair example of ETH die, um, 
you know, for a market that is volatile, moving up and down, right, pretty aggressively, like it typically does in crypto. Um, yep. So what does that mean? Because, like, let's say your pool sells out, you know, let's say ETH peaks at 2,500 and the whole pool sells out to die if there's sufficient liquidity. Um, but on all the other platforms, price falls back, back to, let's say, 2,000. Um, so how is Pool Sharks going to make sure that you can still support trading um, even when price comes back, you know, if we begin with the first building block of one direction, we're going to take profit. Yeah. So the, the way that it works at the smart contract level is that effectively there is a timekeeping mechanism and that uh, timekeeping mechanism allows us. So in a typical liquidity providing scenario, um, on EDV3, the price is always telling us the state of the LP position. So if you have some range uh, at the bottom of or below that range, it's going to be in one side. We know what the composition of that position is. If it's at the top or above that range, we know it's in the, the other, whatever the other token is in the pool. So the price is always telling us the state of the LP position uh, in a Uniswap V3. And that cannot be true here because you could get partially filled, the price could then come back down. And so you can't use that mechanism to determine the state of the position. So effectively what you must do is as you're crossing ticks up into your position, we're going to mark the time, uh, that timekeeping me mechanism being the fee growth. So um, your position was created, let's say at time 100, we start crossing up into your range. And as long as we cross those ticks and that fee growth is marked as greater than 100, we then know that, hey, this is going to be the highest tick that you were filled up to. And um, then anybody that comes and creates a new position, you know, let's say now it's 200. So the ticks are marked as 150, new position is 200, that they were not filled. Um, so this is kind of, the, the the secret sauce, if you will, of of how you actually are able to achieve this and do it in a very computationally, uh, I guess the academic term is like closed form. It just means that you know how much computation is going to take place. Because if we did if we didn't have that solution, then like we might have to go through all the ticks, and then it wouldn't it wouldn't be the same gas cost. Um, no matter how wide the range is. So you basically just pass us the highest tick that's been filled in your range. And then we check that that is correct because the next highest tick should not uh, have a time greater than when you created your position. And that will effectively tell us that, yes, they've been filled up at this point. This is correct. And um, then you can withdraw your position at any time. But then how, how do you facilitate um, trading below the, the maximum tick? So is the idea that above the take profit? I guess so. So I'm kind of answering my own question. So above the take profit, you would be entirely in one side. And below that, it would simply be an AMM pool like any other uh, constant product. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's, of course, the ability for anybody to to come in and undercut the price. Um, so and thus, thus the ability to quickly enter and exit trades 
uh, kind of as needed um, in the current AMM landscape because it's a two-sided curve. You can't give preference to one side. And therefore, if you know you put a, a swap in the mempool uh, and I see you're going to swap ETH to die, I have no way of, of undercutting the uni v3 or the curve pool price because you're going to, you know, you're going to move the price up, but I have no way to come in below that because it's not crossing that, that part of the curve. So in this mechanism, if you come in, you like, you know, you see that order in the mempool and, um, you can't effectively say, okay, I'm going to give one basis point discount. And, you know, maybe there's a chance that you'll get a better fee capture that way, if, if that's, you know, worth it. Um, and then you can actually reduce the trader slippage that way, which I think is, is quite interesting. And, it, it, you know, we think of like front running as this bad thing, but actually if you have, if you're swapping like $10 million and then you put like really tight slippage on there, uh someone has to come in and jit provide liquidity so that you will get filled and that's a, that's a better outcome than nobody putting in extra liquidity at all because there's there's definitely actors and opportunists that are waiting there uh for the situation where they can provide liquidity and and get some some sort of fee capture okay Got it. Thank you for explaining that. Um, we'll, we'll hopefully get into how the, the different pools work together for a particular pair. Um, that, that's something we definitely wanted to understand. Yeah, and I, th I think to understand the, the mechanisms a little bit better, we're, we're now looking mostly from like an LP side. Um, like what would a trader do on your platform? And that can be like being that LP, but maybe they want to just have a, a spot order on there. How would that look and how would the AMM react uh, for against that trader's trade? Yeah, so I think one thing that's really interesting is to think about like, basically, if there's somebody on the other side to match you, that instead of you placing that LP position, that would actually just like basically fulfill your order and then just like send you the output. Um, but yeah, essentially the, the, the market price would determine what sort of ticks or range is getting filled. So like I said, there would be the opportunity for people to undercut you if they offer a better price and the swapper will always get the best price because here we have two separate curves. One is for ETH die, one is for die ETH. And so we can say, you know, what is the best price on, on either of those curves? Um, so again, that is, that is the price pools, sort of um, uh, take profit, entry, exit uh, type style um, uh, limit slash range order, I would say. And um, then second, we're also... Um, something we're also excited about is, uh, these cover pools. Um, that's a whole can of worms, uh, to, to get into that, but it's the easiest way to think about it is like a stop loss range order. And it's, um, it's effectively 
using a reference price. Um, and you know, I'm not here to really tell people what sort of Oracle solution should be there. Um, but, uh, it effectively will do all these little auctions to try to match or exceed the market price. And I, I think there's a lot of interesting behavior that's that, that can happen as a result of this. Um, but that's, that's definitely something also that I think traders will want. Um, and again, you know, no matter how wide you set your range, the gas cost is going to be the same. And something that's really important for people, I think, to know is that um, to get this level of sophistication sort of as an off-chain actor is quite difficult because number one, you have to have trading infrastructure to do this. Like you have to be like sitting there tracking the price and then you're going to try to magically jump in and swap and get the slippage range that you want. And it doesn't always work out that great from, I think a lot of people's experience uh, trying to be the, the off-chain actor and coming in and, uh, you know, trying to do the swap, you get front run, uh, it goes outside of your slippage range. And the experience from, from, from my end has generally been pretty poor in that sense, like trying to get in on a token launch and then like the price just like shoots up like 4X, 5X and you totally get pushed out of your slippage range. And here, the, at least with the, the price stuff, the, the cool thing is that you'd be able to set an entry. So if you know that initial pump happens and the price drops back down, you'd be sitting there and you'd have your entry set ready to go. And um, definitely one of the challenges for us is getting all of this order flow hooked up, getting all of these integrations so that that execution does actually happen the way that a user um, slash like trader would expect it to. I think that's really one of the, the challenges for us in like delivering the experience that, that, that people want. Um, so, but yeah, does that, does that give some, some, some kind of full, full spectrum color there? Well, I'd love to understand um, the cover pool a little bit more. So you say stop loss range order. Okay, so 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 what type of trade would you be able to do? Maybe it's good if we talk about a hypothetical. Let's go back to ETH DAI. Um, okay, so how how would someone use this? Yeah, so there there's sort of two sides. Well, maybe three maybe three sides. So like the two sides from a trader's perspective are uh, one a stop loss, as I mentioned that um, effectively the, the TWAP starts dropping and you start auctioning off your liquidity to try to beat out the market. And then the other side being a sort of bullish, uh, what I would call a bullish entry, where you're saying, hey, if the price of ETH gets to 2000, I want to start averaging in because then I'm confident that you know we're in a bullish scenario on whatever time frame you're trading on. And there's a really cool thing there with, with the bullish entry to where at the bottom of your range, you don't have a lot of risk of the price moving against you. So like if the price, if you're holding buy to buy ETH, you know, starting at 2000, the risk of the price moving against you is not that great because you're not that deep into your position. And then when you're at the, the latter part of the range, more towards the top, you have a larger uh, profit margin. So using an example range of three to 5,000, 
by the time you get to 5,000, your break even is at about 3,800. So the price would have to drop like 23, 24% for you to be back to break even. And yeah, I think it's, it's kind of a really cool thing because it, the way that it works actually very much aligns with how someone would make uh, a kind of entry trade like that. Terrific. That's really helpful. Uh, and it helps me visualize. And I, I feel like your point about the, uh, the off-chain infrastructure being uh, very essential. And, you know, I, I think a lot of crypto traders, they try to work around that with DEX tools and trade, uh, a trading view, right, with a bunch of alerts um, and then manually average into positions. And we've seen things like Dexable uh, come online that could do TWAPs, but it comes at the expense of a fee. Um, so I, I really love this. And, uh, you know, in general, I've been using on-chain uh, limit orders much more. Uh, so, uh, for example, there's one from Rook, uh, which even does partial fills. And uh, there's another one by CowSwap, uh, which doesn't do partial fills yet, but uh, also allows you to trade on the CowSwap network, right? Where if there's a coincident want, you can get very, very good pricing or even benefit from otherwise what would be MEV. Um, but to be able to average in is functionality that they aren't supporting. So I think that's very exciting if you could offer that in a technically pretty passive way, right? Like I just layer the bits and go do my thing. Yeah, yeah. So the as I explained, the the cover pools, the the goal there is to stay ahead of the market price because of course you in order to get somebody to fill you, you have to be offering a pretty competitive price. Um, so that side is, is definitely important, but it's, I don't know. I just, it's, it's the thing that I, that I would have wanted, you know, like me looking back, um, I'm really excited if, if it can get to a point where there's some magical way that you can use the same sort of liquidity to, to provide both a, a take profit and a stop loss. I think something like that would, would really excite me. Um, but, uh, yeah, I feel like this is sort of a great starting point and brings value and solves a problem that I think a lot of people have, uh, which is like, Hey, there's no good way to run a take profit on a low cap token. That's just like whipping around like violently. And you're trying to like go and and swap and chase the, the price as the slippage is, you know, moving around crazy. And, um, yeah, it would just be great to be able to kind of place, uh, this express this desire on chain that you have the ability to acquire the other side of the trade in, in some range. I think uh, one question I still have here is that we're talking about one directional liquidity, but is it also possible to have the bi-directional liquidity in a range on Bullshark? So for example, I would want to uh, buy when Ethereum breaks 2000 but when it falls back i would actually want to go back to to die uh just shifting that balance around around uh, you know maybe 1900 and 2000 is it also possible uh even if it's possible with multiple positions um you could that's one sort of wizard sort of way that you could do it um but yeah like ultimately i see the sort of um amm solutions it's kind of like a swiss army knife like there's not really and you you know having different types of agreements about how that liquidity 
is used slash managed. Um, so we, we will be having two-way pools. It's definitely not like the flagship thing that, that we're pushing, but we will be having two-way pools. And um, the sort of innovation that we're adding there is we're really trying to bring back that like ERC-20 composability that people really, really liked um, in the last cycle because, you know, they could go and, and get it auto-compounded and stuff like that. Um, so we are going to bring that back. Um, basically what that will look like is there will be an ERC 20, which represents a single range. You know, let's use the example range of 3000 to 5,000. And, um, anytime that somebody like mints or burns, it will auto compound all those fees, which, which is quite nice. Um, with the, the UNIV three. Uh, the way that they set it up, like you would, you as a user would have to auto compound that yourself um, because there's no, there's no fungible token that they have. Um, and they all, they actually, they detail exactly why that is in their white paper. Um, they didn't want to force a solution on users. Uh, so in our case, we have both the NFT um, and that, you know, is that is a custom position that, that you create. And then there's also an ERC-20 uh, composable solution as well for vaults, for users that want everything to be auto-compounded for them. So kind of getting the best of both worlds. And then like, we still don't force one solution on users. Um, I think I think that will be something good kind of for the average user. But yes, we will definitely will have two-way liquidity and um, you know we'll, we'll we'll try to like kind of rethink uh, what we think that should look like. You touched upon like having a custom position versus standard faults. Um, one question I I have for those custom positions, uh, and you mentioned some ticks. Like, how granular can the ticks be on on pool sharks? For now, probably you you'll add more granularity later. And uh, how wide, for example, can these ranges be? Are there any limits to that? Or is it you know, everything the user wants it to be? Yeah, so there actually is a reason that you would have limited granularity. Um, most of that revolves around gas costs. So like if we had now, perhaps you could make the ticks, like have the same amount of total ticks so like on Uniswap V3, it's like 800,000 on each side. So there's like 800,000 above uh, a one-to-one -one ratio and then 800,000 below. You couldn't just have like unlimited granularity simply because if somebody tries to come and do a big swap, they're going to get kind of caught in the net of crossing all of these ticks um and that might go beyond the the sort of block gas limits um yeah there's there's definitely i think some griefing that that can happen there if we allow for unlimited tick granularity so for us it's just going to be one basis point we'll start out with that that's sort of like the tried and true and um if we need to go below that um then i think these sort of uh, tick math for like converting from the uh, uh, the price to the actual tick number that that will have to probably change. And that is sort of the thing that we've kept the same here. So 
we're not changing the the tick math so converting from a price tick to a um uh, to the actual tick index itself uh, and then also the dydx math that will be the same that's that will be tried and true and um if like using other curve math is is totally possible so like with the cover pools like if you wanted to give a stop loss against something on curve you'd have to actually mirror the curve math that curve is doing that curve finance is doing so there's definitely a modularity here uh, we can definitely swap out any curve math we can definitely also change kind of how the the ticks are calculated and i would definitely say that's a future iteration and uh, I think to start, we'll just kind of go with the tried and true. I have a follow-up on that. So you say you can adjust the curve math. Um, how are you thinking about perhaps creating different um, curves for stable assets versus volatile ones, and maybe the um, fragmentation of liquidity that that creates? Because and may maybe as you answer that, actually, uh, may maybe you could help us think about how a cover pool and a price pool for the same pairs, you know, how that would work, how, how does all that liquidity come together? Um, so it'd be awesome to hear what the protocol can do and um, what you guys see as the best way to start and where that might go over time. Yeah, yeah. So um, I, I would say sort of designing around different, specifically for the cover pool, designing around different scenarios. So there will be one cover pool set up that is designed for people that are trading on shorter type timeframes. And then there will be one for people that are trading on longer timeframes. You know, maybe they're a passive LP and we didn't sort of get into uh, the, the impermanent loss side yet. Um, but effectively this, this cover pool is um, taking the other side of what an LP position would do. So price of ETH goes up, um, it's selling out of ETH on the way up. And then on the cover pool side, it's actually buying on the way up. So in terms of ensuring that there's uh, sort of limited liquidity fragmentation, um, definitely designing those pools, like I said, for different timeframes. Um, and yeah, I mean, in terms of the like, oh, let's combine multiple pools or multiple fee tiers into a single contract. Um, I would like to see that. I would like to see other people experiment on that front. Um, the way that Uniswap has kind of navigated this space is that they have their smart order router that's basically going to split uh, a swap between multiple pools and figure all the routing and that stuff. Um, like I, definitely as time goes on, we'll focus more on the actual scalability and like, okay, you know, maybe it, maybe it is sort of standard practice a year, two years from now to um, bring multiple different types of pools under one pool. Uh, I think that to be a very interesting thing. I think it's pretty interesting to match these the price liquidity against the liquidity that's in the the range pool or the you know the range the the two-way um uh pools I, I definitely think there's some some very very interesting stuff there um but yeah I, I think 
what you're going to see from us is sort of the same level of fragmentation that exists on Uniswap V3 today. And then kind of uh, looking for other, looking at and watching carefully other players in the space and kind of how they approach that. Uh, and then trying to take from those lessons. Um, I think right now where we're at in the space, the the ultimate priority is the, the larger swaps that are taking place. If you're trying to secure uh, protocol revenue, um, kind of tending to the larger swaps that are that are taking place, um, because those are probably going to make up a majority of your volume. So as long as you have a way to support those people, like they do and they don't care about gas fees, right? Like they they care about gas fees to the extent that, you know, perhaps like other users do. Um, and that like, hey, is this sustainable? Does this make sense long term? But I think the actual dollar cost is not crazy important. Um especially just, you know, looking at, at Ethereum and yeah, 50, about 50% of the, the volume that takes place on Uniswap today is just MEV. It's, it's just like, you know, arbitrage and keeping the price in line with the centralized exchange. So the fragmentation side of things, I think it is important in the long run. I don't think that it's important for the near term, which to me is like the next like one to two years. And then for the for the curves, so will you do anything like to um, provide tighter slippage for stables or versus uh, volatile assets? Yeah, I think it's it's definitely something to think about and consider. So like you know the the sort of two models that you've or maybe three that you've seen um, in term in terms of the curve math is. Uh, I don't, maybe there's more, but DYDX, which is great for long tail assets, right? Um, sort of um, tends to work for just about anything. And uh, then you also have the uh, sort of curve invariant where they have the invariant. And basically that's like a, a, um, a, a flat line that is matched against the curve. So you're kind of blending this this linearity with uh, with a curve, and um, that being focused around the peg price, and yeah, I I, I think those things uh, will be important to us um, definitely in the in the long run. I think to start, we'll just kind of stick with the DYDX, but then as time goes on, we will be um, sort of doing more, like I said, supporting of curve users that want the kind of features that we're offering. And I think that is about the time where we would start incorporating the 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 invariant, uh, the more like stable swap approach. And then kind of looking beyond that, we'll, we'll see what kind of experiments uh, other people are running and, and kind of adopt to, to that. Okay, copy that. Um, so final question on this is, um, I guess, what, what are your expectations about the pricing you'll be able to offer? Because on the one hand, you know, uh, Ape and I thought about this a little bit. So if, if you deploy to Arbitrum first, uh, you have competition of GMX on the majors, which do slippage free swaps, right? But, but the fee is still expensive, but it, it gets a lot of volume. Um, then again, you, you have UV3. Um, and so 
I think you're, you're right to say that, um, of course, what matters for you guys is, is generating trading volume, right? And commissions on top of that. And I guess mm -hmm. what your system allows is undercutting off price, which these others don't. Um, so how are you thinking about that? Like, is there a particular asset composition? So either majors or long tail that you're going to pursue? Um, and how do you think you'll, you'll get trading volumes, you know, like once aggregators integrate you and so forth? Yeah. So, um, getting, getting trade volume, of course, like it's sort of makes sense that volume would be routed to us if we have the ability to, um, to sort of undercut the price. Um, definitely. I think what's most important from my perspective is like you come to my interface and you get exactly what you want, which is like, you want the best price swap and, and all of that. So like, it might not make sense for us to just say, Oh, like we're only, we're only going to support our liquidity. Like would that make sense to you as a user? Probably not. But we live in a, we live in a space right now that is very selfish where people um, want to prioritize their liquidity, which I think that is okay. Um, but then of course, beyond that, looking to, to, you know, leverage others liquidity. We, we actually talked about this, like just before we were just talking about this in our uh, uh, sort of like team sync and thinking like, you know, we could borrow liquidity from Aave. Um, we could uh, route to other exchanges. And like, maybe that looks like taking a, a small like referral fee or something like that, like just like tiny and just making sure that the user gets exactly what they want when they come to our interface, I think is the most important thing. And kind of people organically getting behind that um, uh, to me is, is sort of like the unique part of, part of our strategy is like, we're just going to do whatever's best for the user. And we don't care if it's like super self-serving. Whereas like you look at the space now and everybody's like super self-serving. And then what happens? Like nobody, everybody's like, okay, well, I'm just going to go back and use whatever else because they have the liquidity, they have the best price. So I, I think that is something that we need to um, uh, at least think about slash consider. But uh, I, I don't think that there is a, um, a very singular and clear answer for that. I think it's sort of like an adaptive one is like, you know, what kind of users are we attracting? Are we attra if we're attracting people that want to swap $10 million, we only have a million dollars. Well, then, you know, we need to figure out where we're going to source that liquidity and, you know, what expense is that going to um, uh, uh, create for us? So like, you know, borrowing, like, let's say like, if, you know, you want to trade $10 million, then maybe we just borrow 10 million from, from Aave and uh, then we pay that interest. So if that interest is like, you know, say 5% and uh, that would be like, you know, 500K per year. And maybe that's an expense that we're willing to pay. So I think the most important thing is making sure that users get what they want. Um, and of course, trying to reduce the cost to uh, acquire users as much as possible. But 
yeah, making sure that people get what they want so that they, they continue to, to come back. Normally, um, these DEXs would have problems attracting liquidity, but if you, you know, you have that length liquidity here or borrowed liquidity, then basically you're, you're solving that, that, that problem. But I assume you have other ways to tap into the liquidity and get users to your platform. Like what are your other plans regarding uh, attracting liquidity? Yeah, so um, obviously a lot of other platforms have offered incentives uh, to do this. And like, you know, while of course I can't guarantee that, it's definitely something that we're thinking about. Um, my philosophy there is that uh, when you go to open a bank account, they're going to pay you, you know, maybe $200, something like that to, to open that bank account and deposit money in there. And this is something that's like sustainable because it's like, okay, like people want the $200, but like the $200 is not going to run you out of business. Right. And um, so I think being very uh, selective and conservative with what kind of things you incentivize slash reward, the incentive should be very structured around what's actually going to generate revenue for the protocol. So uh, if you go to our documentation, we have um, mention of our proposal for what a fee distribution would look like, which is basically, you know, 35% uh, of all platform fees go to the stakers and effectively um, the, the liquidity providers are, are also getting um, some, some sort of uh, uh, rewards uh, based on how much volume slash revenue they generate. So then it's like sort of creating this, Flywheel, flywheel of people, um, you know, staking the the revenue going up. They're providing liquidity, which increases the revenue that's going to them. So I think um, definitely tokenomics is is something that we're thinking about. Um, the The main thing is to uh, get the organic reach, um, because that will actually make us healthy in the long run uh, sort of emissions and otherwise. So I think just the uh, organic story and actually like convincing the users that we're capable of solving the, the major problems that exist in the space. I think that is actually a very, very important part of all of this working because if we don't focus on that, uh, it will kind of blur us into the background of uh, everybody else in the space. Yeah, and I can imagine that since this is a unique product, people want to use it anyway or uh, are, are going to provide that liquidity to hatch their inference loss, for example, or um, you know, set range orders, limit orders, uh, which basically um, provides that first liquidity and then you can undercut prices, for example. So. Uh, hopefully that will um, bring more usage, more liquidity, more usage, more liquidity, and, and you solve the chicken and egg uh, problem there. Um, I think we 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 already mentioned this uh, because we know you're 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 going to launch on Arbitrum. Um, 
but what other chains are you planning to launch on and what's the roadmap um like the timeline or uh, what are the conditions for launching on those chains yeah so the timeline is definitely launching the the cover and the range pools first um that's going to be uh, the audit for that is going to start uh next week and probably go into let's say like i think like march 21st and so after that um you know and we kind of clean everything up after the audit probably we'll be doing that throughout um so be looking at a march launch uh for the the cover and range pools and then we'll follow that up um sort of after with the price stuff so estimating that that takes another month um sort of a lot to audit at one time and so definitely i think makes sense to turn our attention to focus to kind of one thing at a time um so first we're, we'll be supporting uniswap v3 liquidity providers um and allowing them to to open up cover positions um sort of designing pools with with them in mind and taking all the feedback that we can during that time um then uh second we'll as far as the cover pools go we'll be looking to support also sushi and curve users so anybody that's deposited in those pools uh we want to be able to support them as well with cover positions and like i said the the, the price stuff will uh, likely launch in april and um yeah then we'll just keep following on from there uh definitely an ethereum mainnet launch is kind of positioned for you know three i would say three months after we launch those things on arbitrum kind of like get the test run going monitor um you know take sort of have those first couple months to, to take feedback and then go for the sort of high risk high reward play of ethereum mainnet and then uh after that we'll we'll be looking for more interesting chains i mean the the, the narrative that's going to be really hot i think towards the end of this year is going to be the zk evm uh uh sort of uh play so um we're looking at scroll as well scroll i think has a really good narrative they they were working on this uh sort of um zk roll-up solution with the ethereum foundation so i think like really good narrative there and seems like they have some some interesting tech um and then also fuel uh fuel is is layer two uh, roll up optimistic roll up on top of Ethereum that we're we're going to be um, uh, looking towards. To um, they're focusing on parallelism, so that's going to be kind of their um, their own secret sauce and and and, and sort of advantage. Um, so it's it's a totally different instruction set, but I think the easiest way to think of it is like basically take the like really fast great user experience they have on something like Solana. Um, the difference here being that they use a UTXO model. So there's like no token approvals. And basically you could just go to a swap menu and just click swap. And it would literally happen in less than a second, like without you having to do much of anything. And I think that's the really, uh, where the really great user experience lies, um, kind of, kind of looking forward. But I think we'll see a lot of these layer two, like scaling solutions kind of come to together uh and, and combine strengths over time but right now you're kind of seeing like players focus on one specific uh 
sort of edge of of their their technology and we'll we'll definitely be looking to take users wherever we think the tech is going so if we don't think the tech is going somewhere uh we, we probably will <laughs> avoid that because we there's the fatigue of like you open up the app and like what are these 20 different chains why are they on these 20 different chains why should i care about these 20 different chains that this app is on so i don't know i that's something that that's an experience that i i think needs to uh change a little bit and we'll definitely be looking to, to experiment there and i yeah focusing on a, on a few solid chains uh will kind of give some users an idea of kind of where our heads are at tech wise and uh, kind of allow us to have a more like organic lever so that, um, you know, users have more of a trust uh, relationship. Like when we signal that we're going on to a new chain, it's because we believe in the tech, not because, you know, they gave us some, I don't know, grants or something like that. One thing that's really exciting, I think, is uh, that you will support ELP positions of other DEXs. Because if I understand a little bit, what you've explained to us in this conversation is by doing that, you allow people to come to your platform because they could set more sophisticated order strategies. Um, and once you start layering in your own liquidity, uh, basically you already have captured some of the demand. Um, and that's a nice flywheel you can build upon. Is that is that right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I feel that us not driving a hard line with uh, users because that's like kind of how it exists right now. Like you go and you deposit on sushi, you're gonna get the sushi rewards. You go and deposit on pancake swap, you're gonna get the pancake swap rewards. And um, not drawing a hard line with users, I think is something that's really important so that they can feel like they can still organically leverage your tool without being forced into using it or providing liquidity on it um i think it's really important uh and it just if you just look at the space broadly it's like everybody's trying to come up with the next like two-way liquidity strategy but i sort of think that the problems have mostly been solved in that space and now users need a way to, to capture buy and hold um because the two-way liquidity strategies are sort of selling early if you want to think about it that way so the only way to kind of counter that is, is to buy and hold. Professional market makers today, they're hedging on centralized exchanges um, against their, their liquidity positions on Uniswap, on Curve, and so forth. So if that's what the professionals are doing, um, you know, they, they don't have a way to do it on chain. There doesn't exist a smart contract today that enables buy and hold. So I, I think we're sort of at the first phase of that. I'm really interested to see like, okay, we have you know, Uniswap and Curve with mean reversion trading strategies. We have, you know, now Pool Shark with buy and hold. What's, what is the sort of third uh, sort of trading strategy that comes into the fold? Somebody yesterday said to be momentum trading, <laughs> which like, I, I don't know what that looks like. Um, but I, th I think, you know, the sort of meta analysis level is is very interesting here. And we, we could definitely see some, um, some other things come as, as a result of um, this, like when people actually sort of see the pattern that's happening here. Really, really exciting stuff. Um, so as we come to the end of our time, um, I guess we should ask you, is there anything in particular that you haven't said that maybe you want to make the audience aware of? 
Eugene, yeah, so I, I, I think I think uh, to kind of circle it back to around around to kind of where I started is that there's a lot of solutions that exist out there right now for um, impermanent loss. One of those being like a purple or an option or something like that with leverage. Um, those solutions are great. The problem, of course, is that they don't create a more liquid market. And I think the really cool thing about a solution like this um, is that you can actually provide liquidity to the market while at the same time getting the sort of agreement type that that you want. So I think that's where the win is for DeFi as a whole. Like I, I, I genuinely think that this is not just about like us and what we're doing, but it, it has some interesting sort of takeaways for the entire space. That being, um, if you can provide liquidity under a different sort of agreement, then we can basically create a more liquid DeFi as a whole, because not everybody's going to be able to agree to one type of agreement. That would just be insane. You know, if I, if I tried to open a stock exchange and I said, the only thing that liquidity providers can do is run mean reversion trading strategies. They would be, they would think I was crazy. <laughs> how are you, how are you going to capture volatility? So those are the sort of things I think about and the things that I think are important kind of moving forward for the next couple of years. And yeah, I, I, I sort of um, hope more people kind of follow this pattern and are sort of thinking about what, what the next thing is. Terrific. Awesome. Uh, this has been a lovely conversation and we're, we're very excited for the launch and uh, definitely we'll be tracking closely. Um, so thank you so much for your time. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. Thank you uh, for listening to another Today's Extra episode. This was Alpha Key. Uh, make sure to follow him on Twitter. We'll put the links in the description. So uh, make sure to click those. And we'll see you in another episode. Thanks for tuning in to the Deus Ex Dao podcast, a place where some of the most progressive and innovative builders, thought leaders, and traders in the crypto space come together to discuss all areas of the crypto industry. Whether you're into DeFi, Layer 1s, Layer 2s, NFTs, or anything in between, we've got you covered. And as a reminder, Nothing said on this podcast should be construed as financial advice or as a solicitation to buy or sell any digital asset or security. The comments, views, and opinions expressed by the hosts or guests on the podcast are their own. As always, you'll need to do your own research.